Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week, I have Russell Jarrett with me. Now, Russell is uh, one of Australia's leading strength and conditioning coaches, owns a number of uh, gyms with his lovely wife, Tara, and has also worked with many elite uh, teams from the AFL, from soccer, from golf to tennis. He's uh, been around a while and done a lot of things. So you're going to really enjoy this conversation on strength and conditioning and how to optimize your fitness. So before we go over to the show, just want to let you know that we have our Boost Camp live webinar series coming up on the 1st of September. It starts. It's eight weeks long. We're going to be doing a live um, seminar every week. And you're going to be we're going to be learning everything around uh, leveling up your life basically so how to age like a winner how to reduce your stress how to deal with um, all the, the things that are coming at us in our overwhelm today's society we're going to teach you how to tap into your biology through your neurology so we're going to be looking at how to optimize your sleep health fundamentals nutrition exercise uh, all those sort of good things as well as things like circadian rhythms it's going to be a really good uh, life program basically so we hope you can join us over there um, if you want to find out more go to peakwellness.co.nz forward slash boost camp that's boost with an s no uh, it's not boot camp it's boost camp <laughs> we won't be making you do burpees during the webinar i promise so make sure you come and join us over there peakwellness.co.nz forward slash Boost Camp. We also have our flagship program running as usual, our epigenetics. This is all about understanding what your genes are about and how to optimize your life to your specific genes. Now, we use this with lots of our runners. We also use it in the corporate sector for teams and leadership teams and, and building uh, strong companies. We also use it for people with going through different health crises and wanting to optimize their health fundamentals to help them through. So if you're interested in finding out about that, just go to peakwellness.co.nz. Okay, now over to the show with Russell Jarrett. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have Russell Jarrett with me. Welcome to the show, Russell. Fantastic to have you. Thanks, Lise. Good to be here. <laughs> we have a mutual friend who's put us in contact and we're very, very grateful. And uh, we're going to be sharing some good stuff around health, fitness, uh, health optimization, strength and conditioning. That's your jam. Now, you, Russell, can you give people a bit of background? You've got a hell of a lot of experience in working both with elite athlete teams in, in different sports, as well as, you know, the general population through your gyms and your studios and so on. Can you just give us a, a bit of a synopsis on your career, if you like? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, it stretches back some 30 years now. I I started like many other coaches do, you know, working on the gym floor and uh, and un understanding what that environment looked like and felt like. Uh, once I finished my phys ed degree, I decided I I didn't necessarily want to teach. Um, I moved into athlete strength and conditioning. That was an area which um, seemed to really uh, um, raise my interest and, and I got involved in that. Um, but back in those days, you know, it was very much a, a part-time uh, role and a part-time world there wasn't really professional sporting teams as yeah. such yeah um so i had to then supplement you know with work in the fitness industry and with general population so i've i've always had one foot in either in either world and i've worked with elite athletes in various sports in australia for a long time um but i've also had my own you know business enterprises and and studios or or RTOs and things like that that I've used to to provide myself with a, a stable career because one thing I have learned in the in the strength and conditioning world is that you know it's a great environment to work in. It's exciting, it's high pressure, um, it's it's always different, it's challenging, but it's unstable and it can be volatile. Yeah, yeah. Because as they say, it's a it's a uh, results-based industry. So if the results aren't coming uh, for, for whatever reason, and that may or may not have something to do with what you do, it may not. But nonetheless, if there's a change in personnel, quite often you're part of that change. 
that's that's so true and you know that's why i love you know you have to you have to be flexible and adaptable and being able to sort of go with the flow when you're an entrepreneur i mean you know on this you know similar sort of world different but similar um you 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 make you have to make shit happen basically if you want things if you want to keep in business and you have to be good at your job otherwise yeah people aren't going to come come back um, I want to go a little bit into your experience with working with elite athletes for starters, because you know I think it interests uh, a lot of. So a lot of my listeners are um, uh, endurance athletes. Not not everyone. Everyone's a lot of average, you know, sort of uh, people interested in health optimization and being the best that they can be. Um, but my background is as an ultra endurance athlete. Um, so what is it that you think sets a good athlete up from a mindset point of view before we get into the strength and conditioning side of the equation, which is hugely important? But do you think that there's like having worked with general population and lots of elite athletes, what is the, some of the, the key differences that you see between the two groups, if you like? Yeah, look, I think um, I think when people start to figure out that they have a, a talent or a gift or a um, an, uh, an ability that is above and beyond what is considered normal. I think along with that comes um, a strengthening in their self-belief and their understanding of what they can do, um, and that takes time. But, you know, there are still athletes that will, by their own admission, will struggle with with their own um, self-belief and their own um, uh, levels, levels of doubt and, and, and so forth. Um, they're not invincible, but I, I think that anyone who gets to the elite level has a, a, a mental belief, a strong mental belief in their ability. They know what they can do. They know what they're good at. They're obviously passionate about it. And then I think, I think for for the elite athlete, it's just an ongoing evolution of that ability to stay focused, stay driven, stay hungry, and stay confident when perhaps their performances. Are suggesting otherwise i think that's you know good athletes and people that are considered elite have an ability to persevere when others might give up i think that's probably one of the things i notice the most perseverance perseverance and do you think there's a there's a, a difference between um you know, like, is it is it is the most important thing talent, or is the most important thing a never quit attitude, and I'm going to keep fighting a fighting sort of attitude? What do you think is more important? Um, look, I think there's a combination there. I think it's different for every person. I think there's definitely athletes that are extremely, exceptionally talented. You know, um, Michael Jordan, um, NBA, um, Tiger Woods in golf. Uh, Michael Schumacher in F1, um, you know these kinds of people are supremely talented, and they're just on another. They're just playing on another level, you know. And and I think for those people, they probably don't suffer the, the same levels of doubt or or stress that others might. Now, on the, on the same on the same environment, you've got people who are not that talented. Um, so there were people that that played in the same team as Michael Jordan, right? So there was a guy from Australia called Luke Longley who was one of the, the pioneers of Australians into the NBA. Luke Longley was a seven-foot centre who played a couple of seasons with the Chicago Bulls. Now, Luke Longley, and, and he'll tell you this, was in no way, shape or form as talented as Michael Jordan but he still managed to play in the same team at the same level and win championships alongside Michael Jordan. Now, it's not talent that got Luke there, so it's got to be something else. Yeah. Obviously, he had some talent, um, but he obviously had incredible desire, hunger, dedication, perseverance, and he had, you know, he had some ingredients that he combined with his talent to allow him to play at the highest level. So... I think it's different for every athlete. Mm. Um, some athletes do their thing because they're they're in they're in extremely talented environments, and they're they're just freaks at what they do. And then there's other people that you look at in all sorts of sports, and they don't work look, their ass off. Yeah, they don't look that <laughs> athletic. They don't look amazing. They don't do extraordinary things, but they just keep going and they hang in there. They find a way. They find a way to play at the highest level. It's quite extraordinary. 
Yeah, I mean, that's certainly my background. I had absolutely no talent as a runner, absolutely none. And uh, just, you know, for sheer bloody mindedness, got, yeah. you know, sort of pretty good at it. But, um, and I think, you know, that's, that's why, you know, for me to ask the question, because it, 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 for me, talent is, a, you know, if you've got it, then you're bloody lucky. But even if you haven't, if you're one of those people listening that goes, you know, I haven't got any genetic abilities and talents and stuff, but I really want to do it. Well, don't give up on your dream, you know. Like I remember going to uh, Millennium Stadium up in Auckland with the with the, uh, the uh, Auckland University doing VO2 max testing and all that sort of stuff. And they said to me afterwards, like, if you're a young athlete coming to see whether you'll be good at endurance sports, we'd tell you, you know, don't give up your day job, you know. <laughs> you are so, you are actually below average, below average. And, you know, small lung capacities, very low VO2 max. And I said, well, lucky nobody told me that back then because then I wouldn't have gone on to do the stuff that I did. And that's the point now that, you know, just because you don't have a talent doesn't mean you can't. You might have to work ways around things. You might have to work twice as hard as the guy next to you and you have to be prepared for that battle. But I think, you know, you can. Um, Okay, so you've worked in the AFL, cricket. What other sort of sports have you worked with? And what do you see as differences between the sport arts as well? Any sort of insights there? Yeah, so um, so yeah, I've spent some time in in the AFL um, with Cricket Australia. I've worked with netballers, basketballers, uh, tennis, and golf. Um, um, look, physically, all of those all of those athletes differ because they adapt according to what their sport requires of them. So, footballers have exceptionally high levels of fitness, capacity, strength, endurance, agility. They're very um, well-developed and well-rounded athletes. Mm -hmm. And then you've got golfers who essentially are not always very athletic, although the sport is getting better, but they have incredible levels of coordination, incredible levels of concentration, incredible levels of focus um, because that's what their sport requires. Right. So I've... You know, I've been lucky to work in different sports and, and yeah, you're right. I, I always see these little, these little nuances between different sports and, and what they bring to the table. You know, footballers generally have really high levels of pain tolerance because to play at that, at that level, it's quite uncomfortable. Right. Um, whereas golfers have incredible levels of concentration wow. and, and cool. mental, mental resilience because you know, you can you can stand over a putt, uh, which might be four feet long, but that that one shot over four feet might be worth a million dollars. Wow! Yeah. So so <laughs> you better, understood that, but why? Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. So you better you better make sure that you've got incredible focus and 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 that your internal dialogue is very calm and very measured because. If you're standing over that putt worth a million dollars and you're like, I don't know if I can do this, and your heart rate is pounding, you're not in a good position to make that putt. Wow, that's a good insight. Yeah, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? It is because, you know, I've I've often looked at golf and thought, why the hell are they so high paid? (laughs) And why, you know, when you've got some triathlete or Tour de France winner who gets, you know, a pittance in comparison and you're thinking, the, the training and the dedication and this, the, the dangers and all of that, and you think, well, so it's, it's interesting to see that as a, there is a different um, a lot of things at play, and and that's you know it's the brain. I mean, I watched a doco last night. I, I, I love neuroscience, and <laughs> there was a great one just on Netflix actually, and it was looking at or how the neurons in the nervous system work, and it was looking at a boxer and all the stuff that's going on in their brain, and it was like, wow, there is different types of coordination, fitness, reaction, emotional control, all of these things play into this, you know, game that we are, whatever sport you're into um, and and into life in general and staying healthy. You know, like uh, one of the things that I I found interesting, they were talking about ultramarathon runners having the blood sugar levels of a diabetic. And I was just like, 
really? Is that why? Like, because I've had, like, I, I've been monitoring my blood sugar levels over the last couple of years, and I'm going, what the hell? They're extremely high at times. Like, uh, and I've been doing like an interval training session, and I fasted for 18 hours, and it's up at nine and a half, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm diabetic. And then I'm now like <laughs> listening to that yesterday, and I'm like, ah, ultramarathons are trained their body to respond with huge amounts of, of blood sugars and they're very insulin um, sensitive. So actually the opposite is actually happening. But if you just took that at face value, you just took that 9.5 measurement on a, on a blood glucose, uh, you'd think, oh, my God, she's got diabetes. So yeah. it's, a, it's a really uh, interesting world. Or when you're recruiting like you're doing a big heavy weight, the neurons is what you're training, not just the muscle fibers, isn't it? That's it, yeah. Yeah, in fact, in fact, with a lot of strength training, and that's what people find, especially people who are new to strength training, they actually develop um, new levels of strength quite quickly. You know, within if you take a beginner and you, and they've never done weight training before, strength training before, you can actually get them quite strong within two to three weeks. You know, they'll they'll notice a difference in two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not a physiological adaptation in the muscular system. That is a um, a physiological adaptation in the nervous system. Wow. So, so their nervous system uh, adapts and changes much more rapidly. Um, so that's why you see that rapid increase in strength. At the start. At the start, that's right. And then after, after a couple of weeks, the muscular system also changes and starts to catch up. Wow. Is that also why you have a little bit of a plateau after your initial gains and you're like, ah, oh, this is great, I'm going to keep improving and then you don't? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the nervous system changes rapidly and then the, the adaptation to the stimulus of that starts to slow and then you get more physiological adaptation in the muscular system. So over time um, the process of getting stronger is a combination of those two systems constantly being stimulated and constantly adapting to the to the to the changing stimulus. Wow! And what sort of changes does this make in our body? Like from a health and you know well being and, and and longevity and all of the anti aging sort of stuff. You know, I'm I'm heavily into actually you know resistance work, weight training. It doesn't have to be heavy heavy stuff, but you have to be doing weight training as far as I'm concerned. And as, as someone coming from an endurance athlete background, that's not that wasn't certainly wasn't the conversation until you know our company. We, we're very big on the strength. We're big on the mobility. We're big on the um, not overdoing the running, not not doing the, the high mileage models and ignoring the strength, which is you know the 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 world that I sort of grew up in. Well, when I was, you know, learning as a young athlete, um, uh, ultra marathon running, there was well, there wasn't a guidance for starters, and I remember ignoring strength and conditioning completely, yeah. and oh, the strength side of it, um, and and now realizing that that's actually the biggest weight gains, the biggest weight changes, like is in weight loss, mm -hmm. the biggest. Um, uh, metabolic changes, the biggest uh, form changes for runners, the strength trainers, the stability, the lack of injuries, and like all of these things are just huge parts of that puzzle, even for endurance athletes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, look, going going back, uh, you know, maybe a couple of decades, strength training and endurance athletes, you know, they, they didn't really talk to each other. Um, it, yeah. it, really wasn't, it really wasn't part of the picture. Yeah, it was um, detrimental to go and do weights if you're well, a runner. Apparently. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There was there was a a segment of the endurance world that believed that if you lifted weights, you could you could um, uh, damage or inhibit your ability to run or do endurance sports. We know better than that now. Um, we know that it is absolutely possible and actually um, uh, recommended to combine endurance training with with the appropriate level and type of strength training to benefit endurance athletes, no doubt, no Absolutely. doubt. Yeah, um, it's a great insight. Yeah, and, you know, um, when, when endurance runners or runners or cyclists or, or, or triathletes, when they get stronger, provided it's done the correct in the correct fashion, yeah. as you say, it actually has benef benefits to their running technique to their running form, to the minimization of injury, um, to their ability to recover. Everything improves 
when you're stronger. Yeah, and anabolic as opposed to the catabolic nature of our sport, which is, you know, tearing stuff down all the time instead of rebuilding. And we need, and, you know, like um, on, on that point as well, uh, the whole, uh, you know, I'm going to bulk up mentality, you know, it takes quite a lot to actually bulk up and there's different types of strength training to reach different types of goals. Um, and the other aspect I wanted to ask you about, like I do uh, genetic testing and epigenetics and understand uh, the different um, sort of genetic combinations. And if I put someone who is strength-based by genetics and I put them into super long-distance endurance training, I'm going to be mismatching their genetics. So uh, how that worked out for me in my life was uh, I did ultramarathon running when my genetics are actually built around uh, high-intensity sort of medium weights and shorter, shorter episodes, so shorter duration is actually what my genetics want. My, I, I decided to do ultramarathoning because <laughs> I decided to do it, but I didn't know that, you know, actually for my genetics, it's actually really important to be doing some weight training. It's actually important that I don't overtrain as in the long distance. So now, uh, you know, and, and okay, my active career time is, is over so I, I've gone now for longevity and, you know, yeah. things that are more important to me now. Um, and I've, But I've found that I'm a lot healthier, a lot fitter. My hormones are in better balance because I'm doing what's in line with my personal genetics. And it doesn't mean I can't even run an ultramarathon again. I can, but I shouldn't be doing them back to back if I want to live a long time and not wreck myself. Um, do you see that, you know, I mean, you, you would, uh, without going deep into the embryology and, you know, epigenetic side of it, but you got your ectomorphs, your mesomorphs and your endomorphs as a broad categories. Um, the endomorph population really, really benefit from strength training. Like it's really important and it's counterintuitive, especially for females in that in that population because they think they, they're already bigger, stronger people and they think that when they go to do weight training uh, that that's going to make them like, you know, really massively bulky. What would you say to that? Have you, you know, come across that experience, that at all? Yeah, look, um, in the weeds here, but. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, you're right. Um, look, certainly, certainly, you know, people are, um, are more, more, more predisposed to certain activities, which is essentially what, what we're saying. So I'm an ectomorph, um, you know, my body shape and my body my body composition is more ectomorphic. I'm, I'm quite slight, narrow shoulder. I don't weigh much, um, but I do still strength train. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what, what we're saying here is that because I'm not sort of genetically gifted or predisposed towards strength training, it, it also means that I'm what we call a slow gainer or a non-responder. Um, for me to, to put muscle on my body, for me to get stronger, I've got to do a lot of hard work and I've got to eat a lot of food Yeah. because um, it's really hard. My body does not want to get bigger. But if I put a pair of shoes on and went for a run, my body's very happy. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely right. Now, with females, yes, there are there are people that are going to respond better to endurance work and respond better to strength work. But I guess what it comes down to is how do you then combine that predisposition to what it is that your goals um, are, to what it is that you enjoy doing and to what it is that your body responds to. And that's the, I mean, if I had the answer to that, yeah, if I had the answer to that, Lisa, I'd be making I'd be making a fortune. <laughs> well, that's what yeah, that's and that's that's why the study of epigenetics is really uh, key. And what like we work with different uh, platforms, but and technologies and stuff. But what what I get out of it is that gives me the black and white information, and then as a coach, then I can help you piece together the right combination. So if I've got someone who's like uh, me, or uh, you know, is 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 more suited to shorter, high intensity CrossFit style workouts for the more of a better description, and they want to do ultra marathons, then I'll then I'll tailor their their programs, or our company would tailor the programs 
to fit that so that they can still do their goals but without wrecking their body. And that will be a lower mileage program than what it would be for you if I was training you with an, as an ectomorph who can take more of the distance. I think what's also important to understand in that is that strength training pretty much is important for everybody in some way, shape, or form. And especially as we get older, like when we hit our 40s and we start losing muscle mass naturally, like that's what happens then this is where i see like lots of runners especially are you know becoming like beef jerky (laughs) for the one of a better description sarcopenic you know losing muscle mass then losing uh, bone mass and they may be cardiovascularly fit and they're not going to die of diabetes and being overweight but where they run into troubles is with you know uh, stress fractures and osteoporosis and uh, lack of muscle and that can kill you just as quickly as well I mean a lot of people die of of osteoporosis as in breaking hips you break a hip when you're you're above 60 and you're in trouble you know, um, that can lead to death with, you know, like the, the, the stats for that is worse than it is for cardiovascular disease. That's just pretty scary when you start um, unraveling the, the the whole bone. So it's really important for me to have people who are just endurance junkies, if you like, understanding that especially once I've hit the 40 and above that they get into that weight training, that they get into some strength training of some sort at least. Yeah, with, with all my general population clients, if they are – if they're above the age of 50, I recommend to all of them strongly that uh, some part, uh, small, you know, through to significant, but some part of their weekly exercise routine has to include some form of relatively heavy strength training. Because if you want to look at, if you want to look at one form of exercise that can improve your quality and length of life, it's strength training. Amen. Without a doubt. Without Amen. A doubt. <laughs> We're yeah. on the same page. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, me coming from an endurance background, I'm saying that. Well, that's right. and, and this is super important for women to hear as well because yeah. I think women you know, have a natural tendency, I don't want to get bulky, I don't want to get muscular. I can tell you now, ladies, the more muscle you can, can maintain in your body, the better, the better your base metabolic rate is, your human growth hormone. When you do strength training, you're going to up your levels of human growth hormone, which is going to help with your anti-aging, which is going to keep you younger, you know, which is going to help with all of these different exercises is, uh, you know, areas of cognitive yeah. as well as physical, uh, as well as sleep, as well. Every area of life is impacted. If you're if you're doing heavy weight training, you're going to sleep better. I'm telling yeah. you that much, you know. And it's not just cardio, 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 I think is the message that I'm trying to get across here. That's very important. And everybody should be doing a certain amount of cardio. It's absolutely crucial that we sweat, that we get our heart rate up and we do all of that stuff. But it's the combination as in every decade where you go through, you basically need a new approach, I'm saying. You know, like, yeah, the the, the ratios. We all need cardio. We all need strength training. We all need mobility is the other part of that conversation, which is your Pilates, your yoga, your you know, all of that uh, foam rolling, all that sort of good stuff. And then it's the ratios that become different as you age and then how heavy are you lifting and what body type do you have? So if you're a big, strong endomorphic body type, I can put some heavier weights through your joints. That's going to be good for you. If you're an ectomorph, I'm going to put sort of lighter weights, but I'm still going to put weights through you, you know? Yep. That's, yeah. That's real clear. I, I, um, I did a podcast with um, Craig Harper the other uh, a few weeks ago. You've been on the show. Yeah. yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, man, he's awesome. And, and I said to Craig, you know, what I say to people all the time if you train well, if you train well, and if you train consistently through your 20s, 30s, and 40s, then your 50s, 60s, and 70s will be a whole lot easier. Hell yes. Yeah. This is gold, man, because of, and, and the older you get, the more you have to focus on this and the more you have to train, not volume-wise, but the more you have to focus on this and get that combination right because it becomes more and more important, not less and less important. And what I see with our over 50s and 60s and 70-year-olds is that they go, I'm older now, I don't have to do as much. That's the opposite of what we should be doing. I'm older, therefore I can get away with less, therefore I have to do more in, in the right 
context, you know, like um, so I have a, you know, story of people who listen to my podcast know about my mum's journey and she had an aneurysm five years ago, you know, uh, and she is at the gym five days a week. You know, this afternoon we'll be at the gym, we'll be doing weight training and cardiovascular work and coordination work and yoga. You know, those are all parts of her rehabilitation. Now, it's relative to her age. She's 79 years old. And and we, unfortunately, I didn't know all this back in the day. And so I missed the boat in her 40s and 50s and 60s. And we've started in her 70s and coming back from a massive rehabilitation project, you know, like, you know, we're five years in now. God, I wish I'd known what I knew then, you know, now, like what I knew what I know now that I don't didn't know then because oh she would be in so much better shape. And so now I have to work that much more strategically in order to keep her where she is and to keep her moving forward into her eighties and nineties and hopefully beyond that. Yeah, look and the, it's doable. The, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And the understanding in the general population, in the general community, the understanding about strength training is still poor. It's getting better. Because people like you and I are out there banging the drum saying, you know, get strong, lift heavy, do your weights. Um, you're not going to blow up. You're not going to get bulky. It's going to give you nothing other than, you know, a better, a better body that works better, moves better, feels better, functions better and dies recovers later. better. <laughs> What's that? And dies later, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't, we probably haven't come up with, um, the the anti-aging drug, but I think weight training is pretty close. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy Pushing the Limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatarmaty.com and thanks very much for joining us. And this year, another aspect that I've been really deep in the weeds on lately is um, hormones. Mm. You know, um, uh, a study under Dr. Elizabeth Hewitt, and she's a, a longevity um, uh, doctor and orthopedic surgeon in America. Brilliant lady. Love her to pieces. And she, I just did one course with her, and it was like, what to fix first? Yeah. And she was like, I'm not going to tell you to do the right diet or the right exercise program. The very first thing that I'm going to get you to do is optimize your hormones. Your yeah. hormones need to be, if you don't have testosterone and estrogen in the right levels in your body and with human growth hormone and all the other hormones in the right combination and the right thing, then you are not going to be able to exercise. And she said, if, 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 if I tell someone who's severely overweight in their 60s who hasn't trained before just to go to the gym and start working out and their hormones are in the gutter, they're not going to be able to. They don't have the motivation because hormones are related to motivation. They don't have the ability. They don't have the energy, uh, all of these aspects. So optimizing our hormones is a really important piece of the puzzle. And I think this is a new conversation that's starting to open up. And this is not about whether, you know, like um, we're not talking about, uh, you know, illegal anabolic what the bodybuilders or whatever um, have traditionally done, but this is about optimizing your hormones as you age and we start to lose, you know, drop our testosterone. You guys, especially in their you know, late 40s, 50s, start to really notice a big drop. And if we can actually optimize that, uh, and that needs, you know, like I do hormone consults and stuff, this needs to be done under doctors or, or, or people that are specialized in this. But 
if you can get that right, then you're going to have the energy to go and do the, the right exercise and you'll be more likely to, to eat right as well because you you won't be having this downward spiral because if you get your hormones wrong and you start to feel lethargic, you start to have less energy, less cognitive ability, and, 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 and. So for me, I'm actually like, right, how do we optimise people's or let's have some conversations around this because to date it's been either, either being, okay, woman, maybe uh, hormone replacement therapy, um, okay, if they're going through menopause or something like that. And for guys, it's only the bodybuilders who have been getting testosterone. I tell you now that the men, if they if they check, get their testosterone levels checked, and if you can work with a good doctor, and that's a big if, uh, trying to find the right one to work with and get them optimised for your age and for where you're at so that you're actually, because then you will age a lot slower. Yeah. But it needs to be done carefully because hormones yeah. can, uh, you go the wrong way and you can end up with cancer. So you need to understand your innate pathways and all that. So without getting into that conversation, but just getting into the fact that hormones are absolutely crucial and we can do things to boost our testosterone naturally, weight training. And woman, you need testosterone as well. Yes. <laughs> That's where your estrogens come from for a starters. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, or they come from progesterone to testosterone to estrogens. And men, when you do, um, so the more weight training you do and the more you'll have more human growth hormone and more testosterone available to you. And doing things like sauna and things also, huge, huge. Like you do three days of sauna, you're going to have a 1,600%, I think it is, Increase in human growth hormone for the next couple of days. I um, you're absolutely spot on. Um, about two years ago, my my uh, wife is fifty one, mm-hmm. um, and wow. has she doesn't look it has, has always has always been uh really good with her diet, really good with her training, always strength trained, um, always been a strong lady and and fit. And about two years ago, started to feel unwell. Um, started to be you know, kind of a little unmotivated with regards to exercise. and But she still kept fighting through it and she goes, I'm just going through a flat phase. Anyway, long story short, um, started putting on a little bit of weight, which was unusual because her diet was very good. Her training was very good. In 12 weeks, she put on 12 kilos. Yep. Uh, without explanation, right? <laughs> exactly. So got got hit fair and square between the eyes by the menopause oh, bus, right? Yep. But she went to three different doctors and none of them were prepared to um, explain or assist or advise or refer. They all said to her, you know what, for your age, you're in pretty good shape. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Ah, this makes me so... And, and one guy, one doctor looked at her and said, are you an attractive lady? What are you worried about? It's not about attractive lady. It's about optimization. When will the doctors start to understand that it's not about the disease? It's not a disease model that we should be following. It's a prevention model. It's optimization. That's yes. the change that's going to happen. I can see it coming. Tell so keep, keep so she, she, she finally, uh, we, we made some phone calls to some friends. We did some research. She stumbled across uh, an anti-aging doctor in Melbourne who was in his mid-90s. Wow. And was still practising. That says something about him already. Right, yeah. (laughs) And he sat with her for, I I guess, an hour and a half and he explained to her what he did and how long he'd been doing it. And he said, "Um, no one will tell you this. He goes, no regular doctor. Uh, refers to me or believes in what I do. Um, he then he then uh, met her uh, for a sort of an extended consult in which she did three blood tests over the space of six hours. Um, he then wow. managed her hormone profiles and prescribed her some medication and some testosterone. Yep. And she lost, um, without changing her diet, without changing her exercise, she dropped 10 kilos in 10 weeks. Yep, 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 yep. That's an extremely important story, Russell. I hope the hell that she's sharing that out in the world because I have to get her on and actually share that in depth. Yeah. That oh, there's, there's, 
there's a lot there's a lot more to that story. That's the brief version. Yeah, I want the full version. Yeah. Get your wife on my show, would you? But Lisa, um it 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 really it really upset me and it really made me frustrated, as I'm sure you've been through the the same process. I've heard your story about your mum. And um it just made me really upset that our medical profession is so not not all. I, I'm not. I, I don't no. want to generalise, but but a large percentage of our yeah, conventional yeah. Yep. conventional doctors are so so far behind. They're so far behind. They're so far behind, and, and and this is changing. I mean, I'm reading a book at the moment called "The Future Is Faster Than You Think" by Steve Kotler. Unbelievable what's going to happen in the healthcare space. Mm. The data that's coming, the AI and all this sort of stuff, it's exciting because it's putting the power back into our hands because we'll be able to have the diagnostic tools. At the moment, I'm frustrated, left, right, and centre because there's stuff I know about I want to get for my mum or for myself, and I can't get them peptides and all that sort of crazy awesome stuff and i'm a biohacker you know like i like experimenting like the hell out of myself i mean i've just been like i'm going through menopause i'm, I'm 52 I've, I've gone through menopause and um i started on a product called nmn which i now import into new zealand and and i work with a molecular biologist in this uh area and this is an anti-aging longevity supplement that um dr david sinclair uh who wrote the book lifespan you have to read that book if you haven't um, so I've been on that now for seven months, eight months, and um, I've reversed my own menopause. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I, well, I was already aware. I'm already on DHEA. I'm on progesterone. I'm on uh, estrogen. I already am optimizing it. I understand my genetic risk factors, so I'm, 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 I'm all over that because I don't just do this willy nilly. People, if you want a hormone consult, you know, I can do that. Um, that's what I um, do now, but. Um, I I, I can I I've I'm the leanest, fittest. I'm not fit in the ultra marathon sense. I couldn't go out and run a 200k race like I used to be able to, but I wasn't fit then. Re- randomly, I was fit in that one thing, but I wasn't. I didn't feel athletic. I was overweight. I was puffy. I was hormonal. I was you know up up the wops. My body was in overtraining. Now at 52, I'm leaner than I've ever been. I'm stronger than I've ever been, uh, and I've got more energy than I used to have. And when I went, you know, the last few years have been pretty rough. I've had a, you know, uh, rough life with, you know, with mum losing my dad and losing my baby and, you know, be some shit (laughs) that way. Um, And still, you know, like, okay, I've been through the ringer and I've had a few things along the way, but this is why it's so important because, you know, you're going to get the from life. It's going to come. Sooner or later, you're going to get smashed in the face and the more stronger you can make your body so that it bounces back if you have an injury or a sickness or a virus or whatever, uh, the better. I mean, I've just gone through shingles um, the last four weeks, which has been bloody awful. Uh, but, I'm, I'm, you know, now I'm back and I'm training and I'm back into life and, you know, I'm, I'm optimising. And it's not surprising because the stress levels that I've been through and exposed to are the reasons why I've my body was hammered. Um, and, you know, so so you can't always avoid these things. Uh, there's things are still going to happen to you, but if you're strong and resilient and you've got the right nutrients and you've got the right training, you will bounce back 100 times faster. I've got a, a mate up here who's uh, 60, I think he's 65 years old, and he's a kite, kite surfer, legend of a bloke, done it since, you know, forever. He's been a waterman. And he's just had a hip operation. And within two days, he was out walking. And uh, within three hours of the operation, he was up. Mm. And I see him all day, every day. Now he's on the bike. Now he's, like, down there watching the waves. He can't get out there yet, but he's walking every day. Like, that guy's going to come back and bounce back mm. like nothing because he is fit and he's he's just raring to go, you know. Mm. Yeah. And that attitude doesn't matter that he's 65. He's kick-ass athlete, man. Yeah. You want to watch him kite surfing. I'm in awe of him. You know, he's like out there for three, four hours and the biggest, scariest, like stuff I would never touch, you know, <laughs> like yeah. wouldn't know where to start. And this guy's just killing it or, or up our mountain skiing, you know, like just you don't have to accept that, oh, you know, you're now – 50s so it's time for you to settle down and you know get a bit more sedentary and yes well you'll probably put on some weight and you'll you know that's just life no it isn't no 
No. No, that's right. You're absolutely right. I've got it reminds me of one more little story. I I, I had a lady who sat with me in my office about six years ago. Um, I'll paint you the picture. Um, early 40s, quite overweight, very un, unathletic, uh, very inexperienced with exercise, very intimidated by the gym, poor nutrition, like the, the classic sedentary person. Anyway, uh, we started talking and, and I managed to convince her to, to just gently start something. I made some, um, some adjustments with regard to her diet because it was horrendous. Um, she started eating better, drinking less uh, sugary drinks, eating more fruit and vegetables, meats, eating less processed food, started training, then started feeling better, losing weight, started getting, you know, more excited by the process. Three years later, she competed in an event in Central Australia called the Big Red Run. Oh, yeah, done it. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And she covered, uh, what was it, 160-something kilometres in four days. Amazing. Just like wonderful. This, this was a woman, when she sat with me, she couldn't run. She wouldn't have been able to run more than 500 metres without stopping. Wow. And in three years, she did the Big Red Run, and in one day, she had to cover nearly 80 kilometres. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. In fact, that one kicked my ass. I ended up with a back injury and didn't make it. So I know how hard that one is. Like that's, hard that's rain. It's hot. It's, it's amazing, you know. Yeah. And she, she literally reinvented her body in wow. three years. That's in, and her 40s, mind yes. you. Not yes. 20s. Yeah, you in know, her 40s, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is just gold. What what an incredible story. And it's it, you don't have to, and even like for me, you don't have to do, you know, like I had a lady on the podcast a couple of days ago, um, um, Cindy O'Meara, nutritionist. She was teaching me stuff about e-numbers and preservatives and shit, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, like that's even like, but I didn't have any idea of that level of information and how they feed them on plastic bacteria and put it in our food. I'm like, wow, this is just horrific. Mm. And But she said to me, you don't have to go out and do everything today. No. Just decide this week, okay, I'm going to eat a little bit more organic this week and I'm going to go and search out for my, you know, something organic, better chocolate. You know, yeah. <laughs> if that's what you're into and you want to eat a chocolate, then you don't want to be having the, the cheaper nasty. Go and find a good one. You know, so it's just, in other words, taking tiny steps and every day that you make those little wee changes and those little wee steps, don't overwhelm yourself because then you'll chuck it in. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you can never, ever have an ice cream again. You know, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you're making these incremental changes in your life and slowly you start to get better and we're all on this continuum of of change and i bet that you don't eat 100 percent perfect and train 100 percent. i don't no, you know no. i have days when i have a, a effort day and you know stuff you know, <laughs> because i've had a bad day and i know i've done it and then i'm like okay well you know that this happened we'll get back on the bandwagon yeah. you know yeah look you're absolutely right like um we're not saying to people that you need to that you need to eat like a monk and run marathons like David Goggins. Not saying that. Um, <laughs> we're just saying, as you rightly pointed out, just small adjustments over time, identifying, okay, if you're unfit, if you're not eating well, what are two or three things that you could change today that would not feel like we're making your life incredibly uncomfortable? What, what, are, what are just three things that you could change? And eventually you change them, you realise that it wasn't that hard, you realise that you feel better for it, so then you start looking for what else can I do? Yes. What else can I change? You know, what else can I optimise? And then over the process of three years, this lady completely changed and completely optimised to the point where you would consider her somewhat of an elite athlete. Wow, this legend. Yeah, it's a great story, um, but it just shows you uh, with 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 dedication, with discipline, consistency, all those all those words that they're not necessarily easy or pleasant, but they're they're irreplaceable and they're critical. Yeah, you know, and education. 
Yeah, you, you can't you can't achieve anything in life, whether it's physical or financial or anything, without dedication, discipline, and consistency. Yep, and not over. And then the big piece of the puzzle is don't overwhelm yourself. Just take it one step at a time. Like I'm, I'm studying cryptocurrencies at the moment because I can see the writing on the wall. This is what's coming at us as a complete new system, right? And I'm like at the moment in that phase of like. I don't get any of this, you know, like this is like you might as well be talking Latin to me, but I know if I keep reading, if I keep listening, if I keep, I will start to pick up the terminology. I will start to understand it. I know the process of learning. I know that's how I learn languages. That's how I learn medical stuff. That's how everything I don't understand at the beginning. I don't worry about the confusion. I just let it wash over me. And then my brain starts to create these patterns of recognition. And then I start to go, hey, I understood what that person says. And, oh, I'm a little bit clever, you know. And then you're away and you're off to the races because then you start to become curious then you start to become passionate and then you're like, well, then then it's up to you, like how far you take that one, you know, and, and that's how you do it. You don't go, and I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to study cryptocurrency for five hours today because that's what I'm studying. You know, that will blow your mind, you know, but if you yeah. just take that little bit. Absolutely, Lisa, and I think, um, you know, as I age, I'm 53, as I age. Same as me. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I'm trying to become um, uh, more aware of where are my weaknesses, and I don't mean physical, because I my 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 physical weak like because I've been exercising for thirty years. Physically, I'm in good shape. Um, you know, my blood pressure is fine. My my body composition is good. My strength is good. My cut it's all fine. I'm trying to keep my mind strong, and and because. My, um, I guess my internal fear is at what stage in my life will I cognitive, cognitively start to decline? Yep. And, and I know it's probably going to happen, but I'm trying to keep my mind strong. Yeah, you don't need to, it doesn't need to have, well, this is my area, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brain um, rehab. Yeah, 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 you, yeah we'll have the talk off, offline. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there are lots of things, you know, like having brought my bum back from a, a massive brain damage, like where she had hardly any higher function, I do understand what it takes to keep the brain going. And you, you'd you be doing a lot. I, I don't, you know, because you've got a good diet and all that sort of thing and you're exercising, those are two massive factors for brain function. You're much less likely to get Alzheimer's and so on. And you add on a bit of sauna and things like that, then you can lower the risk. And then you understand what your genetics are and your predispositions, and then you can understand what to do to, to mitigate it then you hop in things something like the hyperbaric which is in the corner of my room yeah, that yeah. type of thing that will keep your brain function going we don't i don't i don't fear alzheimer's or any of those things because um i i have so many things in my war chest if you like with my tools yeah. that yeah. i can pull out i mean i know uh, like for example my, my husband has a genetic uh, three times risk of than normal for developing alzheimer's uh, so I bought him a sauna. I kick his butt into the hyperbaric. I I watch him. I make sure he's getting good fats in his diet. I, you know, I try to well, I try to keep the beers down. That's the biggest struggle I've got with that one. But you know, and he's training and he's he's running hundred milers and he's doing you know all these good things. So I don't fear, even though he has a three times risk genetically speaking. I can control that risk yeah. to a large degree uh, by the diet, by the exercise, by the right interventions. So we don't, we're not passive, you know. We don't. When people, when people, I just had a, I did another interview with a, another fellow Australian this morning, um, Kirsty uh, from Cultured Wellness, lovely lady, and she had a dad that she talked about. He was sixty five, starting to cognitive de- decline. She changed his diet to keto. She started getting more exercise, doing all that sort of stuff. Now he's seventy five and he's back teaching, mm. and he's fully functioning again. You know that mm. you don't need. But it doesn't. You don't, you can't just go to the doctor and they'll give you a magic anti-Alzheimer's pill. There's not. There's nothing there yet. You know they are working on stuff. They've got some things that can slow things down, but don't rely on that. No. But no. even the lifestyle and uh, intervention and the the training and the diet and all of those sorts of things that you can control, and you might not even develop it. Yeah. Well, my my goal is, um, you know, with my training and exercise and nutrition, is to self manage my health. 
um, because I, I just feel that if I can avoid interaction or, or need, if I can avoid the need to be a part of the medical system, then I'm okay. I'm desperate to be a part away from. Yeah, not. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to have to rely on a doctor or a hospital or a treatment or a drug. I don't want to. I want to. I want to self medicate through exercise, nutrition, um, uh, you know, reading, learning, um, being outdoors, sunlight, all of this stuff. I, I want to self medicate for as long as I can. That's the one. That's the one. And there are times, you know, if we have an accident, we'll be very glad for their brilliant um, abilities, sure. you know, sure. fixing surgeries. Not saying that they're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Where, where they're falling down is in the chronic disease management. Yeah. But I also, I also feel, Lise, that it's, it's my responsibility to manage my own health. I, I don't. Exactly. It's not up to the doctors and the nurses. I want them to be looking after truly sick people who are injured or unwell or have cancer or I don't want to give them, like, don't look after me, I'll do it myself. Yes. And if if one day I fall over and break a leg or do something stupid, then I'll I'll need your help. But until then, I'm happy for them to look after people that really need them and I'll look after me. Yeah, and this is like even from a macro perspective, and this you know, we'll wind it up in a second. But I'm not loving this. Um, the social, you know, from a from a uh, an economic point of view, if, yeah. if 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 they understood that if they were educating people, then there would be less load on the the, the health system. I mean, what's coming at the health system as far as diabetes? You know, when you look at our teenagers and our children who are already obese, who are already pre-diabetic in some cases, who have all sorts of hormonal issues, you know, and, and what's coming 20 years down the line when they reach their 40s and 50s, oh, crikey, we're in for a hard ride then from an economic, macroeconomic standpoint. And even in this, light, you know, the latest COVID situation, don't again into, but why is there not a bigger conversation around boosting your immune system so that if you do happen to get it, that you're at least able to cope? Because the people with comorbidities yep. that are at least likely to come out the other side or to come out with some serious, not always, and part of it's a genetic thing, yep. but also, you know, like let's be proactive again. Let's take your vitamin Ds if they're low. Let's look at the, you know, magnesiums and vitamin Cs of this world. The simple, easy things that we can do to boost our immunity. Let's lower stress levels. Let's, you know, try and do all of that. And then we might, if we're unlucky enough to get hit with it, maybe we'll be able to come out the other side without, you know, dying or having some long-term consequences, hopefully. Yep. You know, yep. where's that conversation? Well, um, sadly, Lise, we're not having that conversation. The simple reason for that, and I don't want to sound sceptical, but it's going, it's, it possibly may, um, there's no money in healthy people. But there's, <laughs> but there's a lot of money, there's a lot of money to be made when your population is unwell and sick. Um, and unfortunately, we're fighting big, big organisations that make a lot of money when people are unwell. Yeah. That's yeah. the truth. That's, That's just- the truth. And when they, you know, when you're on a even a blood pressure medication or something like that, that you're on for life, that's a hell of a lot better than them giving you something that actually might fix it and you're off it in two weeks' time. That's why there's no money going into antivirals uh, medications and things because you'll be on it for a couple of weeks and then it's over. So they can't really make money. Well, they can't make money out of repurposing drugs that are off patent, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, get into the bloody weeds on that stuff. But I think what's important for us to do is just to shine a light on the positive things that we yeah. can do and be proactive and be aware that there are forces at play that are not always got your best interests at heart. Not to just accept whatever is dished up to you. Go and do your own research. Go and talk to this. Listen to the scientists. Listen to people who are really educated in this space. And that's not me and that's not you, but I listen to the people who are at the top of this game and then I make my decisions over what I do, you know. And we won't always get it right, you know, but um, make your own mind up and be responsible for your own as best you can. There will always be a left field thing. You yep. know, like the shingles came out of me, even though I'm on all the right things and doing yep. the right things. 
because probably I've got too much stress in my life. And I yes. take accountability for that and try to mitigate that, which I'm trying to do. Yep. Uh, you, you, the, the, uh, my summary to all of that is um, with your own health and what people are telling you to use or take or consume, you've got to do your own due diligence. Always, always. Hey, Russell, you've been absolutely magnificent. I want to have you back on. I'd love to talk to your wife about her journey too at some point because, um, yeah, really excited to meet you, to have you on the show. It's been a real honour. And um, another, you know, like-minded person. Keep fighting the battle, mate. That's it. Yeah, no, it's been great. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you, Lisa. And where do we people go if they want to find out more about you, what you do, you know, all that? Yeah, look, the best, the best place is just go to my website where you can um, – understand what I do, what I've done, who I work with and how you can connect. And it's just Russell Jarrett, all yep. one word, uh, .com.au. Russelljarrett.com.au. We'll put that in the show notes, people. Check it out and uh, we'll see you on the other side. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com 